Ministry Mentorship, Episode 21. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia, and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young people for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministries. Before we get started with today's podcast, I'd like to remind you to check out our podcast on iTunes. You can go to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast and find out more information. You can also help us spread the word about ministry mentorship by liking or retweeting this interview. Your help is greatly appreciated as we endeavor to connect apostolic leaders with young people. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Pastor Jeff Arnold from Gainesville, Florida. Brother Arnold is one of the most well-known preachers in the apostolic movement. He has a deep love for the Word of God and is a tremendous preacher. He is known for his incredible insight into the scriptures and his unique delivery style. His testimony of salvation is a great example of God's grace and mercy in our lives. I know you're going to be blessed and challenged by Brother Arnold's love for God and his desire to please the Lord. And so let's join the conversation now. Well, we're here with Brother Jeff Arnold. He is uh, pastoring in Gainesville, Florida, where he's been for the last 32 years. And he and his wife, Patty, have been married for 47 years. And he's preached at conferences and camp meetings all over the world. And we're just honored to have him with us today. Brother Arnold, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad glad to be here, I think. <laughs> now, Brother Arnold, tell us a little bit of your story. Well, uh, really what happened to me was uh, my wife and I were married for one year when I came out of the Air Force, the last year during Vietnam, 1966 been married for about a year. I was going to college and I was heavy into drinking. My wife didn't like drinking and we got to disagreeing and fussing and, and I was, was on my way to a Miami divorce court to get divorced. And during the night, uh, the Lord just came into the house and woke me up like three nights in a row. It was a supernatural something. And, uh, I mean, we didn't go to church. I didn't even own a Bible. And, um, and the third time that night I woke up, I thought, man, what's going on? And I felt like this voice spoke to me and said, you're almost out of time. You need to get your life straight. And it terrified me. I went in and woke my wife up, asked her if I would be a missionary to China, would she go? And, you know, she thought I was, she thought I was drunk. <laughs> I was blacked out. And we ended up going to a Baptist church and, you know, it's funny. I was, I've been thrown out of hunky tongues. I've been thrown out of whorehouses. I've been thrown out of hotels. And this is the first time I was ever asked to leave a church. And uh, my wife and I were praying at the altar and my wife asked them about the Holy Ghost and they thought she lost her mind. So the, the minister finally turned around and said, would you escort this couple out of my sanctuary? They're disturbing my service. Everybody else was accepting the Lord as their Savior, shaking hands and being saved. They took us in the back. They counseled with us and all that. I was embarrassed. If my wife hadn't been there. I jumped through the window and got drunk. But it was like, what in the world was going on here? So they were telling us all this stuff. And, and my wife is very, very ladylike, very calm. But she blew a fuse, and she said, these people are lying to you. They're not telling you the truth, Jeffrey. So when I was a little girl, I was baptized in Jesus' name. I saw people receive the Holy Ghost, and I never got it. When you get the Holy Ghost, you talk in tongues. But they told her that was just for Pentecost, and we're under grace, and that didn't happen anymore. Well, I was embarrassed and apologized, and I said, well, thank you, and left went outside and said, you can you can go back to this church if you want to, but I ain't going here. She said, you take me to an apostolic Pentecostal church. And wow. It blew my mind. I said, oh, who's a what's that kind of church? <laughs> I've been the Baptist. I've been the Presbyterian. I've been the Catholic. Uh, I've been the jack of all trades. I mean, I'm Heinz 57. I got all the years coming up. I got saved in all kinds of church, except in the Lord is your Savior. That was a standard operating procedure. And uh, she told me to go to a church to baptize in Jesus' name and got the Holy Ghost. And I said, well, what in the world is the Holy Ghost? 
she had the spirit of God. I didn't even know what she was talking about. So we got to looking in the yellow pages and we found a little Pentecostal church. See, what had happened was, Reverend, my new wife's mother died right after she was one and a half, two years old with TB. My father became an alcoholic and they gave up the kids and they went from orphanage to orphanage until an aunt adopted them out of an orphanage and the aunt happened to be a saint in Brother Fred Kinsey's church in Toledo, Ohio, First Apostolic wow. Church. And that's where my wife and her sister got raised for a few years. And that's where she learned about the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues and baptism. And that's always moved me because I'm really a, a, a direct result of Sunday school because these teachers poured themselves into my wife. And uh, although she didn't get the Holy Ghost, she was baptized. And then years later, when she's 22 almost, you know, somebody tries to shove false doctrine down the truth and boom, real truth just belches at her. And she said, that's not the truth. You get the Holy Ghost, you're talking tongues, blah, 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 blah. So we ended up going to this little church, and I thought everybody was crazy, clapping their hands, hallelujah, <laughs> throwing that oil all over everybody, shake, rattle, and roll. I thought, my God, these people are flipped out, man. So I've been to every kind of church there was, and uh, but I I just got drawn, drawn back to it. And then one morning I was sitting there, and I didn't know what it was, Rev, but it was the presence of God that came down, and it just came over my head, down my face, all the way to my feet, I was tingling, and I, I reached over, and I said, Patty, what is this? She said, you know, what? Well, see, I used to work for the power company, and when we went into substations, you could feel the surge of the power coming out of those transformers, and those regulators would make your hair stand up. Well, I was feeling the same kind of surge, mm. and I, I said, we got to stay here. She said, why? I said, this is the same stuff that woke me up those three nights. Wow. And that's what gave me really the convincing that the Pentecostal apostolic way was absolutely right. And then I started going and repented and got baptized. We both got the Holy Ghost. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. And, you know, sometimes we we see ministers preaching and teaching and ministering and Sometimes it's good to hear the story and hear how God has worked in their lives. Now, I understand that when you first started out in ministry, and I've heard you tell some testimony a little bit on, on preaching tapes, uh, and that dates me a little bit, but uh, how did you first get started in ministry? Well, I, you know, I belong to a little church in Hollywood, Florida, and the lady pastor, which most people were against, but that's where I came in. And... And I just, I, I heard messages in tongues and interpretation. I saw the power of God fall. And so, like, we only had 60, 75 people in our church max. And uh, I just became, you might say, the jack of all trades and master of none, you know. My wife cleaned the church, cleaned the bathrooms. Uh, I got the bus running. I picked up kids. I used to pick up eight, nine kids in my little Rambler, and then we didn't have enough room, and we got a little bus. And so I just gave myself to whatever needed to be done. I walked by one day, and I saw Sister Swinford on the back end of a lawnmower. Now, you understand, I'm a hell-raising drunk. Um, I'm smoking three packs a day, two bottles of rum every weekend, every other weekend. Uh, I'm a hell-raiser. And I see this lady cutting the lawn, and I just started going to that church, and I was blown away by it. And I remember, I didn't really know what her name was. I just called her, hey, lady, uh, hey, lady, don't you have any men in this church that can cut the lawn? Well, son, they're very busy, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I said, if you'd give me that lawnmower lady, I'll cut the lawn around here. You, you, ain't, you ain't got no business cutting the lawn. You're the preacher lady. And so I ended up getting married to the back end of the lawnmower. Then I got to be the maintenance man and the sprinkler guy. And then my wife and I, I would work on the weekend on Saturday and come down and we would put tile in the bathrooms and we would clean the church. And, you know, we just poured ourselves into whatever we could do to help the work of God. I never one time the foggiest day of my life ever thought I would ever 
teach anything or preach anything. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I just kind of looked at what needed to be done. And when any time we needed to get a room built or something, uh, I always volunteered. I was I was glad. That was my church. I got saved there. I felt the depth of the Lord. And I never thought I'd ever leave Hollywood. You know, I had a good job with the power company. And, you know, and I just kept working for the church. And then uh, I got, you might say, promoted, became the senior class Sunday school teacher, the, the pastor began to notice that the Lord really started opening my mind and my spirit. I would study day in and day out and it seemed like the Lord would just give me revelations and insights. And, and so she, she put me in the senior class. And then after that, uh, I became the youth leader. And it was just like whatever was there, I was willing to try. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I just was trying that's all I could do, you know. I mean, this was this was my church. This was my life. So uh, that, that's, I guess, how I got started, you know. And then one day, uh, the pastor asked me to speak at a, a youth rally. Like, scared me half to death. I said, me? <laughs> yeah. She goes, yeah. You, and I prayed, and the Lord gave me a message. And I preached it that Friday night for the area youth. And the Holy Ghost fell. We had tongues and interpretation. And boom. There on, it was just Katie bar the door, you know, and then I just started teaching and going into all the ministry books that you're supposed to have. And, you know, I just, and I guess I just tried to do anything I could, but I never had a goal. I want to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. I want to be this. Uh, that was never, I never even looked at that. Mm. It was just like, there was a need. And, and whatever I could do to help, I'd be glad to help, you know. So that's, I guess that's how it started. But that's how I got started doing all my puppet things and all my gospel magic things and my chalk talks and my ventriloquism because I worked with the kids and we were, we were in competition every Friday night with football games and baseball games. And so I got involved. My wife would write programs out from headquarters and, I found a book from a chaplain on on doing object lessons with uh, tricks or chemistry, and I would start doing these object lessons on Friday night, and then one thing led to another, and and I became the great baloney. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's awesome, man. That's great. And then you eventually started traveling, doing uh, kids camps. Is that right? Yes, I did. See, I. Because I got so involved with our youth department at the church, and then I started, you know, doing a Bible study once in a while. The pastor would let me speak on a Sunday night. Well, then when I preached that youth meeting, and some of the local pastors in the area asked me to come up and preach for their church, you know, and I asked my pastor what to do, and and they gave me to go ahead, and so. Uh, I, because I carried my little Freddie the Frog and my little Dean, the ventriloquist thing, I started doing, I started doing, uh, you know, children's evangelism and, and children's services. And uh, in fact, it's funny when I went out evangelizing, most people never asked me to preach. I was, I was the magic man. I was the balloon man. Uh-huh. Me and old uh, Steve Muncy, we were the first two guys that ever really did bus ministry in, in UPC. I walked the street and passed out thousands of balloons and did tricks for kids and wow. did children's crusades. And, you know, and, and I just, fact, it took me years, Doc, to find out that people didn't like me. That's how stupid I was. <laughs> I had no idea people were damning me and condemning me because I did <laughs> magic tricks or I, or one guy was going to quit the church in West Virginia because I was I was deceiving people, talking through a ventriloquist dummy and uh, wow. you're throwing your voice and that's the devil. And it was crazy. Yeah. You know, and I went, you've got to be kidding me. And so, uh, you know, I, but I didn't let it deter me. Yeah. I just felt like, I was supposed to do something, you know, and, and I'm going to do whatever I can to help people. And, you know, who's ever listening, if there's anybody listening, uh, you know, the Bible says you're going to serve the Lord and win souls. You know, you've got to be harmless as a dove, wise as a serpent. But if you look in the margin, 
I've always imagined in the margin it said, and had the hide of a rhino. <laughs> and yeah. I've always believed that because anybody who tries to do anything for the Lord is going to be sometimes, well, maybe most times, greatly misunderstood. Yeah. And and if you go around with thin skin or a chip on your shoulder, don't worry, somebody's going to knock that thing off for you. You know, I just, I tried to keep a clean spirit and the right art and just tried to do what I could do. You know, I found out doing my balloons. I still do balloons. I'm 69 years old. I still carry balloons. I still make them for people at restaurants. I give them to people when I'm in a hospital. And I had this philosophy. If you're good to somebody's kids, they may not agree with your doctor, but they can't hate you. And so I would just make balloons and, right. and do a little trick or something or, you know, and just, I just try to be a people person is what I tried to be. That's all, you know. You know, you talked about some of that opposition. There's a guy named Kevin that asked the question, what in your walk with God has kept you during the hard times? Okay. I really did my best to have a prayer life. Okay, and I'm not any super spiritual dynamo, and I don't go into seven thousand day prayer fast and two hundred sixty three hours of prayer. I I try to pray every day, and I've done that all my life, and I've tried to be honest. You know, if I could give anybody some advice, it's so simple. Here's what kept me going: I believe that God loved me, and I believe that God incarnated Himself in Calvary with Jesus, and that he died for me. And he wouldn't have called me or laid his hand on me so I could fail and end up in hell somewhere. I just never believed that. Mm -hmm. So because people didn't call me, and I didn't have to have people's approval, that doesn't give me and never has given me a license to be an abusive jerk. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I felt the Lord dealt with me and, and brought me out of darkness into light, turned me into a sober person, stopped my drinking, my cursing, my carrying on, and turned my life around. I felt, and I do right now, so indebted. And if you called our church tomorrow, you could ask, what is the one thing Brother Arnold always tells you guys? Two things I say. Expectation is the birthplace for the miraculous. Two, be honest, be transparent, be open. When you drop the ball, admit it. When you say something stupid, ask for forgiveness. When you act jerky, repent over it. And, yeah. and I just felt like if I could somehow keep my spirit straight and not get angry or offended, you know, one of the biggest things that's killing people today, and I've seen it for 40 years in ministry, people get offended. And the Lord's word said, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And and people get offended. And he, the Lord talked to us in the New Testament and said, you know, in the last day, the love of money is going to wax cold. People are going to become offended. And you've got to guard against that because, I mean, let alone the president, let alone the political movement, let alone the social people, let alone the imbeciles on the news media. But you, you can get really hurt in the church. Yeah. And I tell our people all the time, the reason you get wounded in the church is real simple. I've never heard anybody preach it. I've never read it in a book. I've never heard anybody teach it. I don't know where they missed it. I don't know what they're doing in Bible school, whether they're playing checkers. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but I said... That somebody needs to tell these people that, 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 you know what, if you just be honest and open before God and, and do whatever you possibly can to please God, that's what I've wanted to do all my life, God. Mm -hmm. And, and I, right now, I mean, one of the highest criterias in my life is not to preach a general conference or preach because of the times or preach co-bunk dunk camp meeting somewhere. That's not it. I want to please God. Amen. That's my goal. I want to please God with my attitude. I want to please Him with my responses. And there's been times when I know I haven't. I got ticked off about something. I got hurt about something. You know, that's what I was saying before. Why, why do people get hurt in the church? Why? Real easy. Here's why. It's real easy. When you come into the church, which is your family, 
you take your armor off. You have to. You're at home. You're not there for war. You're there for love. You're there for interaction with people. You're there for your spirit to be molded and melted. It's, It's out in the world that you're wearing your armor. And so when you come to the church, you take your armor off, and it's very easy for somebody to stab you with a bad word or a bad attitude or a hard look or a, crit- a criticism about something. And that's the stuff that always hurts. I mean, I get hit sometimes by lost sinner people, but I have to tell myself, well, that's what stupid people are supposed to do. <laughs> stupid people are supposed to act like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't get that offended. God's people are not supposed to act like that. And that's what I was kicking in the shins, you know, like what the Lord said, where did you get your wounds? I got them in the house of my friends. Yeah. Why? Because when you're with your friends, you're not on defense. And that's what happens to people. You, you know, I think it's a tragic thing when anybody goes to church and you got to put on a defense mechanism. You're going, what in the world, man? Yeah. I thought we were supposed to be loving the Lord and, and loving each other, and we're supposed to learn from each other, you know? And it's like, wow. You know, I learned just by trial and error. One of the things I think that God gave me, Red, is nobody. I had no family. My mother died before I got back from the my tour of duty. She died the night before I got back. A few years later, my father fell over with a heart attack. Then my 44-year-old brother died. I mean, my family died. I'm the only guy alive. So I never had anybody to bail me out. I never had any place to go for the holidays. It was just me and Patty. There wasn't anybody else. I didn't, I didn't have no sugar daddy to send me money. It, it just didn't happen that way. So you learn by trudging through the the trenches, you know, and you're saying, okay, and you start forming spiritual friendships. I remember something, Doc. You haven't asked me this, but I'm going to tell you. God let one of the greatest men that I've ever known in my life come into my life, and that was Brother Tommy Kraft, Jackson, Mississippi. And he looked at me one day, I was speaking for him, and he said, Arnold, let me tell you something. He held his hand up, and he said, when you die, if you have this many good friends in your life, you are a rich, blessed man. Mm. You know, and I thought, wow, I mean, I have a lot of people that know me and I know them, associates. But I only have maybe two good friends, maybe three. And that's probably my fault, nobody else's fault. I just lived an isolated, lonely life. That's why I am. I just, I live that way, you know. I mean, I told the guy today, he drove all the way up there talk to me to hear some kind of pearls of wisdom. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And so I talked to him for an hour and a half. Man, he was carrying on. Man, he was having a ball. He was so encouraged, you know, and I'm thinking, you know what? When people go to the circus, they they go to heaven and the clown makes them laugh. Hmm. I've always wondered who makes the clown laugh. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that's Hmm. sometimes it's like, you preach until your socks fall down and you try to help people and bless people. And then when you walk away, you go to the motel, it's just you. Yeah. And you know, you just say, well, and I'm not having a pity party, man. I'm, I'm thanking God for his mercy to me, but I really feel like I wanted to please God. Hmm. We've raised a generation to me that's looking at Pentecost like it's a punishment and not a privilege. You know, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't watch this, and I can't watch... Dear God, man, you got a Pharisee spirit on you. That Pharisee spirit bugs me. You know, it's like, what do I have to do? What do I got to do? I've tried to have that Rebecca spirit, and that Rachel spirit. You know, what would you have me do? Yeah. Let, let me water you. Let me water the camels. To me, that's the bride spirit. And, and that's what's, you know, I've tried to keep alive in my life. I mean, I haven't always done well. I've had sour grapes and sucking my thumb and all that, but I just have refused to stay there. You asked me a question 10 minutes ago. How'd you keep going? How'd you keep going? Really? Yeah. Here's how I keep going. Awesome. Rejoice not against me, all my enemy. Mm. When I fall, I shall arise. Yeah. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord shall be my life. 
Now, you either believe it or you don't. And I believe it. I do not believe I am destined to fail. I just don't believe that. I believe if God is for me, and who or what, anybody could be against me. This this uh, podcast is geared towards young people that have a desire to be involved in ministry. And you've obviously had some times of transition. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that, even from your experience, other young people that you've seen uh, transitioning from, say, children's ministry to pastoring or, you know, there's a lot of young yeah, people right now. Yeah, my biggest transition was from evangelism to pastoring. It was a frustrating time for me. I had enjoyed eight years of evangelizing, and God blessed us, and we saw a lot of great things happen. But the last year or so in my evangelism, I felt like I was still preaching good. God was still blessing. But I was losing my zeal or my drive. Uh, it was becoming a job to me rather than a joy. And I and I felt like inside me that I'm, something's going to change, but I don't know what it is. And and I, I didn't know whether I should maybe try to take a church, whether God was leading me to pastoring. It, it's a, it was a very perplexing time for me. I got two great pieces of advice. Brother Fred Kinsey, I asked him. He shared his heart with me. And then he told me, he said, Brother Jeff, until you have a sure word or a direction or an impetus, keep doing what you've been doing, Mm. and God will open the door for you. Don't keep trying doorknobs. God will bring you and help you. And then Tommy Kraft, once again, gave me such great advice. He said, Brother Arnold, if you keep your head screwed on your shoulders. I was at the altar when he said this to me in mm-hmm. Marion, Indiana, at a bus conference. He said, if you keep your head screwed on your shoulders, God's going to bless you and use you. And as a man's gift, make it room for himself and bring it him before great men. You don't have to sell or manipulate your gift. Your gift will take you where the giver wants you to go. It helped me so much. I said, okay. I had a chance to try out for two different churches. I felt miserable about the one before I ever got there. I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And the thing was locked up tight as a corkscrew. And I said, folks, look, this ain't TV and I'm not performing, okay? (laughs) I said, I don't want your church. Would you relax? I'm going to hear and preach the best I can. We had a good church. I got back on my plane and I went home. I said, that's not my bag of tricks. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll just keep doing it. Then I got off at a church and I wanted to go there. Cocoa, Florida. I preached different revivals there. I loved it there. People loved me. They gave me a hundred percent voting. Mm-hmm. I went back up there on the weekend, took another couple with me and had great church. And there was this I don't know what that means in Hebrew or Greek. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Yeah. But there was this disruptive something way down in my gut that says, this ain't the one. This ain't the one. And mm. I wanted it to be the one so bad. I was tired of traveling. I was tired of living in a motor home, you know, and it was like, but I, I told my wife, she said, are you sure? I said, babe, I'm telling you, it's, it's, and the preacher got all upset at me, wanted me to pray, and I prayed a few more days, and I said, it ain't the one. And then when I just preached on the weekend at uh, Gainesville, it was a disaster when I first came here. I mean, the church was split, hmm. and uh, it was down to 42 people. It was a disaster. And uh, I left there, got picked up two cups of hot tea, driving five and a half hours to go back home. And on the way, the Lord just put it in my spirit. He said, this is where I want you to go. And it was like my spirit said, you've got to go get it. <laughs> I have preached yeah. four revivals in this church. Mm. It's like dealing with hell every day, casting devils out of people, man, getting backsliders, prayed back through. I said, this place is a cesspool. I got no desire to go to that place. And the Lord just kept saying, that's where you're going. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. 
I tell people all the time when they're trying to find the will of God from our church or other places, I said, here, real easy. In my, you know, I'm not a great counselor. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at counseling. I counsel for four minutes and it's over. The old timers didn't counsel. They went to the prayer room. But now you got to counsel and you got to give them 400 books and all that stuff. I don't do that junk. If you can't get the answer in praying, you don't want the answer. You're, you're crazy. You're, you're smoking pot. Something's wrong with you. It's, you're, you're nuts. So I, I just look at it and say, look, you go out in the pasture, you ever see in the pasture nice green grass, and you see a little pond there, and the pond looks like glass. I said, that's the will of God. If you start missing the will of God, you'll watch a little breeze come across that thing, and that little pond gets choppy. Hmm. And I said, that little choppy is the same kind of choppy you'll feel inside. God will yeah. make you to feel uncomfortable or comfortable. And then you have to go with it. I'm just concerned that so many young fellas that I see now, they're trying all the doors. Hmm. They're watching too much TV Jake's junk. They're, they're watching all this charismatic cowboy junk that they want to start off at the top. They look at these guys who wear $2,000 suits and they drive uh, uh, Porsches or whatever. Like, and, you know, that's their mindset of ministry. That's dumb that is so dumb what about just serving god how do you balance being involved in different ministries like maybe evangelizing out and then working in the local church you know does that make sense how do you yeah, how do you balance all these things well, that I are think happening sometimes god in his mercy especially people who are gifted like singing and playing who can also preach you know, to me, you got to come up with what you're supposed to be doing. But sometimes you, you do wear two hats. You just got to find out which one's the priority and which one the Lord, to me, is anointing you best to do. I, I, I see guys, to me, to me now, I could be wrong, who pastor, who need to get out of there before they kill everything they're doing because they're out of their calling. Mm -hmm. they, they're pastoring because they're tired of traveling. They're pastoring because they wanted to collect ties and have a house to live in. But their gifting is evangelism, or their gifting is outreach, or their gifting is music. And and yeah. they got to find out where they're supposed to be. Well, you, if you're going to ask questions or look for answers, you got to have your spirit active. You can't watch television four nights a week and then turn around and preach and want to know if you can hear from God. It ain't going to work. They're gonna they're gonna cause you trouble. You've got to get a balance. What are you trying to do? Yeah. I'm trying to please God. Yeah. I could I could finish this whole interview right now with with one one statement. You got all this stuff about these wonderful young preachers and wanting direction and wanting this. I tell them everywhere I go. I say it everywhere I go. I'll be saying it in a few weeks when I'm preaching a men's conference to a thousand men. I'm going to say the same thing. We are a success-oriented people. Fine. The media and the, and the world and all, but the church is also success-oriented. And I tell people all the time, I said, here's what success is. When you and I accomplish in our lives what God intended for us when he first asked us to walk with him. That's success. Mm -hmm. Whether you pastor six people or you don't pastor. Whether you're an evangelist and you preach your heart out, you sing your heart out, and nobody seems to get the Holy Ghost. People got to remember that we're not the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's right. the only one that can give the harvest. We can sow seed and we can try to water it, but he gives the harvest. So I look at this thing and say, you know what? If, if I measured this by now, I thought when I passed the 10 years here, we'd be running at least 1,000. I thought for sure by the time I was here 20 years, we'd be running 1,200, 1,500. We run, I don't know, between four and 500 people, fine. But it hasn't happened. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I, I preach as good as anybody that I know of. I'm just not a good administrator. I have terrible weak points. I don't know how to appoint and... You know, you're the ladies of the leader, and you're. I'm going to have a staff meeting and all that. I, I'm just not good at that. I'm, I'm, 
I'm a pulpiteer, I guess. I just, I'm just, I study, I fast, I pray, and I just feel like if, if the Lord will let me get to that pulpit and he'll bless me and help me, about 85% of everybody's problems can get taken care of. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, you know, that's one of the things that so many people have known you for is your preaching. And we've got one guy that asked the question. He's, his name is Landon. He says, how do you prepare for a sermon? And, and Okay. Well, like right now, I'm, I'm teaching Bible study tomorrow night. Bible study is, to me is important as a sermon, okay? One's a little less emotional, maybe, than the other. One's like inspiration and one's information. But I've been studying since Monday. I get up in the morning. I read usually every morning. I sit here for a couple of cups of hot tea, and I study for an hour. I read, and I ingest Scripture. A lot of times I ingest Scripture that I don't have any idea. I have no revelation. There's no boing. There's no uh, moving. There's no hickamahokey. There's nothing. I'm just reading. But I, I am convinced that the Holy Ghost is not going to bring out of me or thee or anybody what we didn't take time to put in. Right. And I'm just really concerned about all this baloney that I hear about so many people getting all their sermons off the Internet. Fine, if you can get them off the Internet and they preach good and they help people, more power to you. Fine. But, you know, uh, I, I don't I don't really want to be Polly the Parrot. Uh I mean, I preach things I've heard, I preach things I've read, I preach things I've studied, I preach things I've prayed. I just, I prepare. I, I studied for two or three hours today. I so, still don't have any direction as yet for tomorrow. I'll be praying and studying <laughs> tonight again, trying to sense and feel. Yeah. I guess my, my mindset, Brother Jacob, was this. What did David kill Goliath with? I asked that question 10,000 times. The crazy answers. Oh, the name of Jesus. There was no name of Jesus. I can't believe it now. David killed Goliath with what David took time to put in the bag. He went by the brook and picked up five flat stones so that when he got ready to face the opponent, he reached into the place that he had already made a deposit. You can't draw out what you don't put in. So you got to have some kind of spiritual reserve. So my preparation is I ingest scripture. I do a lot of reading. I, I try to feel and sense what what do you want me to do? And I'll maybe I'll get a thought. I'll write it. I got like 40 pieces of paper sitting over here. I'm looking off my desk right now. I call them dead-end streets, things I got inspired when I was reading, and I just wrote it down, but it's mm -hmm. never become a sermon or a message. But sometimes when I don't feel that click or that quickening, I just start going back through these things because I feel like God quickened that to me one day when I was reading it, although right. it didn't become the message or nothing. So I read and I study. You know, I mean, I... I I'm just, uh, I'm worse than any drug addict there ever was. I'm addicted to this. I, it, it ain't a game to me. I'm addicted to it. And I think that that book is full of power. So I study the Gospels, and I, I, I do a cross-section. I read some Psalms, I go to Proverbs, I go to the Gospels, I go to the Epistles. And I just, I read and I study. And I guess one of the things is that I've always tried to put myself in the picture when I'm reading, what did that guy at the pool of Bethesda feel like? What was the atmosphere like? What what was Bartimaeus feeling or thinking when he heard Jesus was walking by? And then I, you know, I try to say, Lord, talk to me. You you can talk to me. You can mm -hmm. make me to feel, to sense, to know something. And usually, I'll get a feeling. I'll get a something. Uh, something will come alive. Like when I preach Sunday. I was studying Thursday. I was just reading a book, mm -hmm. just a book. And the book, one of the sentences in the book says, now the first look that that young man had, and when I read that, it was like the Holy Ghost went whoosh. And that word look came out. I mean, it was like it's standing out from the page. I went, look, look, first look, first look. And then it just started. Mm -hmm. and for the next 20 minutes, I just started writing notes and I, 
Everybody tells me you're one of the best sermons I ever preached in my life. Sunday morning, I preached on the power of a second look. And it was just like, whew. Now, it doesn't always happen that way with me. There's times I preach that I'm about as inspired as a dead clam. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I, I had to learn that the hard way because I felt like being that I'm Babe Ruth, I need to hit a home run every time I get up. And then the Lord just kind of let me know Babe Ruth still holds the record for the most strikeouts. We just remember his home run hits. And when they asked him, how come you strike out so much? Ruth said, because I swing for the fences all the time. And that's what I do. I, I want to bless people and I want to hit the ball as best I could. And I want to impact people. I don't need a pat on my back or congratulations. or That ain't coming, <laughs> that's for sure. But I'm just trying to help people and so you know, I have to learn sometimes. This Tom Fred Tenney told me this 20 years ago. Changed my life. You know how Brother Tenney talks. Brother Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah. This is Brother T.F. Tenney. He said, remember, Brother Jeffrey, there's four ways that you preach. I said, okay. He said, you preach by inspiration. You preach by revelation. You preach by information. And the worst one, which you don't like, is you preach by observation. And he said, you're going to find that all your preaching falls in one of those categories. Hmm. And the problem is, we like that inspiration stuff like crazy. And we like that revelation stuff. But sometimes, I don't have any inspiration. I, I try, but sometimes I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything. So what do I do? I study. Why? Because I'm supposed to tell people the word. So... And I have to preach by either revelation or information. And the one I don't like is when I have some information, but I'm not sure about it. So I preach by observation. Who's here? What's going on? What, what needs to be done? And, uh, you know, that's the one I, I like least. Because I'm, I'm, I'm very emotional. I'm very demonstrative. I'm practically borderline boisterous. And I'm just explosive, man. Yeah. Let's have church. Wow. Well, sometimes <laughs> it just ain't there. Yeah. How how much? Well, no. Go ahead. No. How much time would you say that you put into a message on average? Probably six, seven hours. Hmm. Well, and that and, and that I'm, doesn't. I'm talking about studying. And okay. Okay. I mean, I study every day of my life. Every yeah. day, I study today probably for three hours. Okay. Now, I mean, really, maybe that's a lot of studying, but I, I love to read. I study an hour in the morning when I'm drinking my two cups of tea. Then I get ready to go out for my day, wherever I got to go. And I've got a, a Mexican restaurant, uh, Italian restaurant that I got. I even own my own booth there. When I walked in today, when I sat down, the waitress, by the time I sat down, she had my pitcher of iced tea and my lemons. Hmm. You got your regular today, Preach? Yes, thank you. And I stay there from 11 to about 12.30, quarter to one. Why do I do that? I get paid to talk. I get paid to know. Yeah. It's my job. And so I, I just have this thing. The Holy Ghost cannot bring out of me what I don't put in. And uh, I mean, there's times when... I tell Sister Arnold, I said, oh, baby, if you got a sermon, if you got one in your purse or anything here, <laughs> I said, I prayed all day Thursday, Friday. I prayed Saturday. I studied all day Saturday. My eyeballs are falling out. I don't have nothing. Now, my wife probably has more faith than I do. When I get up on Sunday morning early and I'm seeking God again and I don't seem to have any direction, I look through notes and everything's dead as I am. My wife says, don't sweat it, Jeffrey. The Lord's going to take over. We're going to have tongues and interpretation. Something's going to happen. Hmm. She ain't missed it in 32 years. Wow. I'm the worry wart. Because, you know, she said, the Lord will take over. And I said, yeah, but what happens if yeah, you don't? Right. You right. know, he goes, well, then you're in trouble. Ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> Justin asked a question, and, and he said, so many ministers are taking preaching out of their ministry and replacing it with talks. And And talk a little bit about that and, and what kind of value do you place on on preaching and, and maybe defining that a little bit? Well, you know, I, I guess I'm just maybe old school. 
um, I think preaching, if if the if the worship service does not blow the walls out of the place, then to me the worship service has plowed the field so that you could sow the seed. Okay. And so I just feel like I've got this mantle on me from God. Watchman, you're on the wall. You need to warn the people. You need to inspire the people. And I just feel like that there's that the word of God, Brother Jacob, is pregnant with power. It's not my ministry, and it's not my presentation. It's the book. That is the one thing. I listen to tapes all the time. I love to listen to preaching. I'm not listening to preaching so I can get myself something to preach. I've been preaching 40 years. I ain't finished a sermon yet. People tell me I need to get on the Internet to get information. I said, my God, I ain't finished a sermon yet. What do I need the Internet for? Right. I just, I, I just, I love it. I just believe that it's, it's power. I think the Word of God can bring conviction to people. The Word of God can bring uplift and encouragement and sympathy and concern and that the, the, the word of God can expose things to people. I mean, it's just like, so I don't know, you know, I see that scripture all the time. I said, and he preached the word unto him and he preached the word unto him. I, I, I'm not going to offend your audience or you. I am an anti-story guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not against illustrations. Sure. I think illustrations are great. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Right. Fine. But I have a problem when you're 80% illustration and 20% substance. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. And you get to telling all these stories and all these things. And I realize once in a while, God will bless stories, and the story will inspire people's faith, and they release their faith, and they can get healed or saved or delivered. But I've always tried to, to, to fill my preaching scripture and verse, scripture and verse, and and try to, to give people this substance, because the word, Jesus said, my words are spirit, and they are life. Not Jeffrey Arnold's words, my words, he said. So if I give out his words, irregardless whether people say amen, oh me, or burp, or just pass out, or go to the bathroom, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Right. If I give out the right. Word of God, the Word of God is going to accomplish. We both know that in right. Isaiah. I send my Word. It will not return to me void. It accomplished the purpose whereunto I've sent it. Well, then preach the Word. Right. And leave the results with the Lord. And I'm telling you, Doc, I'm an old guy now. But I battle that probably more than anything else in my whole life. I am a results-oriented person. I don't like to preach the silence. Yeah. I just don't like it. I like somebody to say something to me, talk back to me, tell me if I'm doing any good, help me. Mm -hmm. And and I just have a real problem preaching to zombies and, and dead corpses and stuff like that. Because the same zombies and dead corpses don't act that way when they watch a football game. They're True. going crazy. <laughs> you know, I say, where, I keep asking people, where are the Jesus fans? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got the NBA fans, and you got the World Series fans, and you got the football, NFL fans. Where's the Jesus fans? I mean, yeah. what, why why aren't you excited? See, I don't understand why people aren't excited about the things of God. I don't I don't get it. Yeah. Well, at what point, you know, was there ever a point when you started to see Andrew ask the question? At what point did you start to see many supernatural things like healing and miracles? Okay. And, and, um, a few years ago, here's what happened. A few years ago, I read a guy's book that headquarters sells, F.F. Bosworth, Jesus the Healer. I just picked it up and bought it. Mm -hmm. I inhaled that book in a day and a half, and I was so stunned by it, I couldn't believe it. But I did believe it. And I read it again and again and again, and it was like the light bulb went on. And so I started preaching that, and, man, I probably went six months in our church. I never got a headache healed. I never got a backache healed. People were just sitting there. And I'm thinking, we're Pentecostal people. We're supposed to believe that, but doggone it, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. Mm -hmm. We say we believe it, but we don't believe it because we ain't seen it happen. 
So I just stopped preaching. And all of a sudden, one night, this girl came up on a Wednesday night, dead Bible study. Her neck was killing her. Her neck was turned sideways. I put my hands on it. I commanded to open. Thing just went straight in my hand. She said, oh, my God, it's gone. It's gone. And from that night, Mm. things started going. Then I started getting our young people, and I started teaching them that you have biblical authority and right to lay hands on the sick and expect them to be made whole. Well, I started getting young people come back in our church saying, I prayed for my friend's wrist that they sprained while they were wrestling, and it just, the swelling went away and it went away. I said, Mm. see what I mean? And so that's where I come up with that expectation is the birthplace for the miraculous. We don't expect it. We hope it might happen, but we don't expect it. Well, I just started reaching for it, reaching for it, reaching for it, and literally, after about two years, I had a few miracles happen, a few helps, and it seemed like I had so much resistance from the Pentecostal movement. I had pastors that met me in my motel when I was preaching for their church, and they gave me Bible studies to show me what a jerk I was and what an idiot I was, and that that, uh, you know, their father died of cancer, so uh, healing's not for us anymore. I mean, I, I was blown away by the assault that I got from the Pentecostal movement. I went, oh, my God. So I laid all that stuff aside for about three years. I just preached the best I could, and then it was like the Lord just dealt with me again, just showed me, said, come on, you got to get this healing thing working. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen in the last days. you got to get it. So I blew all the dust off, all the mold, and started preaching and teaching and demanding and preaching and teaching. And I'm doing it right now, preaching. Yeah. And, uh, and I've seen deaf ears open up. I've seen people get healed. I've seen lots of people that didn't get healed. Why? I don't know. I've had people die. Why? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But I'm, I keep preaching and keep believing and I keep stretching. You know, people ask me, well, how do you get people healed? Well, you got to preach healing. you got to preach right. deliverance. You get what you expect. We said that for years. You get what you preach. Mm-hmm. If I didn't preach about the Holy Ghost, nobody would ever get the Holy Ghost. Right. If I didn't preach repentance, nobody else would repent. If I didn't preach baptism, people wouldn't just jump up and get baptized. True. They get convicted True. by what you preach. And so... I just keep preaching. In fact, when I was doing it in my home church, one guy told me, he said, you keep doing this, you're going to split this church. I said, really? I said, I hope the door doesn't hit anybody in the butt on the way out. <laughs> I said, that's, that's fine. That's your business. But I said, Jesus was a healer, and he orchestrated his church to pray for the sick, and we were supposed to continue his ministry. So I convinced myself that we're supposed to have this happen. And when it doesn't happen, it doesn't affect me. Here's here's my position. You lay hands on the sick, they don't get healed. Next. Mm-hmm. Pray for someone else. Next. Talk to that young person that's saying, Brother Arnold, I want to do that. I, I'm, I'm ready to go to that level, and I feel like God wants me to, to do that. What, would you, what advice would you give them to, to operate uh, Jared asked the question, how do I get into that realm? How do I start operating in that area? Well, now, see, I'm the worst guy to ask for because I don't have as many miracles and wonders as other people. But you, here's what I do. I try. I, I mm-hmm. make room for it. Tomorrow night we'll have a Bible study. It'll be like preaching to the living dead. Okay, that's fine. No problem. When I finish my Bible study, I make room. Does anybody have pain in your body? Anybody need it? Come on up here. Yeah. We're going to pray for you. The other night I did that, and like 10 people out of 30 got healed in five seconds. Boom. Wow. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't make room for it. Here's one of the things you need to tell these sweet young people. I've been held hostage by my own mistake for years. God has used me over the years in tongues and interpretation very powerfully, very strongly. But I've never given a message in tongues or interpretation without sensing or feeling a boiling, a fire, something inside of me that's going to explode if I don't open my mouth. I have found out the last eight or ten years the hard way that many times the gifts of healing and miracles, you don't feel anything. Hmm. 
Wow. And I thought, and I thought I was supposed to feel something. Yeah. God was supposed to show me. He was supposed to tell me something. It ain't happened that way with me. And I asked the Lord about it. I felt like the Lord showed me and said, why should you have to feel anything? You ain't sick. Well, but I, I need to know. I no, no, you don't need to know. You need to believe. Lay hands on the sick, believe God, and I'll do the work. I'm the healer. Yeah. And so I've had to do this and learn that I don't have to feel anything. But one of the things that would maybe help these young people, because nobody helped me, I had to do it all by myself, is that when I go to pray for the sick, I pray. I find out what's wrong with well, my show. The lady the other day I prayed Sunday, uh, she couldn't hardly move her fingers. Or she had terrible arthritis in her hand and her wrist. I put my hand on them. I grabbed them. I don't feel beans, man. It felt like a peanut butter sandwich in the desert, dry as could be. I don't feel yeah. nothing. But I'm speaking that in Jesus' name and commanding that, that mountain to leave and go. Mm -hmm. When I finish praying, I don't send them away. I look them right in the eye. Hey, Sister Sue, how we doing? Mm -hmm. Has the pain gone away? Is it diminished? Mm -hmm. Is it the same? And I've had all three answers come back to me at times. Yeah. Well, nothing's happened. Let's pray again. Let's pray again. And then I've had other ones that say, well, it's a little bit better. Well, that's the gift of healing. Mm -hmm. Miracles instantaneous, creative. Healing is restorative. That's the way it works. So when, when I know there's a little improvement, just like when Jesus laid his hand on that guy in Mark 8, and he said, I see men as trees moving, walking. Well, that means he had improvement, but he wasn't fixed. He yeah. laid his hand on him a second time, and now he saw every man clearly. And, and the other thing you, you need to tell these sweet young people is don't get discouraged if it doesn't work all the time or it doesn't work right away. It right. will work because you have a mandate from the Lord that we are supposed to continue his ministry. You know, look, here's a wonderful scripture. Luke, hmm, I've got so many people clips on my Bible, I must be saving them. Okay, oh, she's not, everything fell over, I just moved away, everything fell on the floor, hold on. Okay, here's a scripture I want to show you. This has changed my life. And, uh, and, you know, I'm not trying to be uh, braggadocious or anything like that. I hope I'm not coming across that way, okay? Mm -hmm. um, okay, here we go. Okay, watch this. Luke 6, this is what changed my life, 17. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of disciples, a great multitude from Jerusalem, Judea, all around Tyre and Sidon. Watch this. And they came to him to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they, that were, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for virtue went out of him, and he healed them all. So now here's what's been bothering me. Same thing, same scripture given in Luke 5, 15. And multitudes came to hear and to be healed. When they come to our churches, they come to hear. What happened to the healing? Yeah. See? In other words, we're so geared to to declare that we have sidetracked demonstrate. We're supposed to declare and then demonstrate. Right. We're supposed to proclaim and then perform. What we are are vessels. We're not the healers. We're vessels. Right. Here's Here's my position, Rev. They who by reason of use have their senses exercised thereby. What does that mean? Plain English. The more you do it, the better you get. Right. The more you practice the guitar, the better you get. The more you sing, the better you carry a tune. The more you go your skateboard, the better you get. Okay? The more you try to preach or teach, the better you get. The more you pray, the better you get. Watch this. The more you pray for the sick, the better you get. Nobody starts off at the top unless God sovereignly gives them the gift of faith or the working of miracles. Right. But if not, 
we have to step through and we have to learn. Right. But you know, I, I can only tell you, my friend Jacob, I can only tell you, I am totally convinced God has never been mad at me for trying. Amen. I don't Amen. care if they died, if they didn't get better. Lord, this is what your word said. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I'm believing you the best I know how. Yeah. Now you either fix them or you don't fix them. If there's unbelief in this person's life and there's issues, I don't know. But all I know is I'm doing what you told me to do. And so I just feel like the greatest thing for us to do is just be honest. You don't know how many times I've gone to the Lord and said, Lord, it ain't working. It ain't working. You tell me to do this and do that, and it ain't working. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. So Amen. I just keep going. You just got to make sure you don't let people making fun of you and damning you and criticizing you shut you down. Well, you know, I think I think there's a lot of young people out there right now that are that are hungry for that, that really want to see the demonstration. I believe and that. what you're talking about, and and they're tired of business as usual, and right. and they don't, you know. Hey, I just told our church Sunday night. I was in a rage, man. I almost melted the microphone. I was in a rage, and I turned around. And I said, "I'll tell you why I'm crazy and nuts and gloomy and I'm demonstrative and I'm emotional." I said, because we're raising a generation that's never seen a miracle. You're talking all that junk, but they ain't seen nobody healed. They ain't seen nobody come out of a wheelchair. That never started. Anybody that was deaf, they could start hearing. I yeah. said, we, we got to get back to square one. We got to hand our next generation more than Acts 238. We've got to. They've got to know the power of the Holy Ghost. And the only way that's going to happen, Brother Jacob, is if we, you and I, and people just keep stretching, keep reaching, mm -hmm. keep stretching, keep reaching, keep pursuing. Here's a here's a statement. Tell your sweet little people that are listening to me. You are never going to possess what you're unwilling to pursue. Mm. And you're never going to pursue what you're not persuaded about. Doc, that's a masterpiece right there. Because David Amen. went after what he lost when he was persuaded by God, who said, thou shalt doubtless recover all. You're never going to pursue. You'll never pursue unless you're persuaded. And you're never going to possess until you're willing to pursue. That's just the way it is. Amen. Now, I'm only saying this to answer your question. Sure. I taught a phenomenal series in our church, to our church. It turned our church around. I have a whole series of CD tapes on healing. I must have 15, 18 hours of teaching on healing and miracles. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it wouldn't hurt them. I've given them to missionaries around the world. John Wolfram called me the other day and said, my God, Arnold, I listened to those tapes you gave me when I, drove, when I flew all the way over to Vietnam. And when I got over there, I put into practice what happened. He said, my God, blinded eyes open and deaf ears open mm. and cripples walked. And I said, I know it works. Yeah. This brother Herod that's coming to be with us this weekend. Yeah. You know, he was at the general conference this year. He's had 1,500 verifiable miracles in the last year on his deputation. So I've got him coming in for the weekend. And I asked him on the phone. I said, you got to help me with this, babe. You got to talk to me and show me what I'm doing wrong. He broke out laughing and said, hmm. You must be kidding. I said, what do you mean? He says, I got this from you at the general conference. Wow. He said, I was in that service, and you punched me right in the face with all those scriptures and about Rehoboam and about Shishak and about the will of God to heal the sick, and we need to demonstrate. And I watched so many people in that conference get healed and delivered. He mm. said, I took that tape and those scriptures and I started using that everywhere I went. Brother Arnold, he said, I was in a service the other day in Africa. In a service. We had 20 people that were born blind, and every one of them, their eyes opened up. Mm. Wow. See? That, you know, that, that, that's supposed to be Pentecost. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. well, they tell them, get online. They want to order those tapes. I don't care. I mean, I don't make no money. I just... They're just available, you know, or anything I could recommend. Or if anybody wants to ask me anything, I'm honored that you asked me to talk to you. I hope I didn't waste your time. 
Well, thank you, Brother Arnold. It's been a, it's been an honor having you, and I appreciate your insight. I wonder if you would just uh, take a minute and just say a prayer over that young I person. I sure would. Dear Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of the universe, the Almighty God manifested a body, resurrected, glorified. I pray in that name for all these precious, wonderful people that are wanting to honor you and wanting to glorify you and wanting to see you manifest yourself in their lives. Give them divine direction and divine anointing and gifting. Lord, raise up, oh, hallelujah, raise up this generation and let them grab a hold of this thing like Elisha did when he got the mantle back from Elijah. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And Lord, that river did not recognize Elijah it didn't even recognize the mantle. The river recognized the anointing, and the anointing worked for Elisha like he did for Elijah. Let the anointing of God sweep into the hearts and minds of these precious young people and cause a, a fervor and a passion in their hearts that they might see you manifest yourself with signs and wonders and miracles. I pray this, Lord, and I believe you for it, Bless Brother Jacob for his kindness to take this on his heart and to do what he can to help this wonderful crew that's coming up. Smile on him and bless him and use him in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Arnold. God bless God you. Bless. See you in the funny papers. All Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com where you'll find more interviews, inspirational quotes, and other resources to help you develop your ministry. Thanks for listening, and God bless.